Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Good morning. Happy Tuesday morning. Welcome to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield and glad you're here with us. Well, at this hour over at the U.S. House, the Democrats are leading a consideration for a resolution to recommend the invocation of the 25th Amendment. And reportedly at 6 p.m. tonight, the House will have that vote about whether to recommend the 25th Amendment. That means recommending to Vice President Pence that he push for the removal of President Trump by getting a majority of the cabinet to vote to give Vice, Vice President Pence the power through the inauguration, uh, through the transition of power and on to Biden. The big uh, statement here to make sure people know is that this would be a non-binding resolution. This would just be a recommendation. And the big piece here also is that the cabinet, there is no word within the cabinet that they would actually support this. So this largely is symbolic. However, tomorrow the House is also expected to vote on the article of impeachment unveiled yesterday against President Trump. This is the second time that he would be impeached. More on all of this is with Nicholas Balassi. He's joining me. Good morning, Nick. Good morning, Carrie. And so, Nick, you're our senior congressional correspondent. What's the latest that we know about this resolution on the 25th Amendment? So House Democrats, they were calling casually for Pence to do this, invoke the 25th Amendment last week. Now, today is expected to be the formal action where they will call for the vice president to invoke the 25th Amendment to remove President Trump. So it's in the form of a resolution and it will be voted on at some point this evening. And so that's the, the most concrete formal action that they're taking to date tonight. Then, like you said at the top of the segment, the impeachment vote, it's not exactly clear when it will be, but, but I expect it will be probably Wednesday uh, if the 25th Amendment is not invoked after they pass this formal call for the vice president to do so. And up to this point, there's been no indication that the vice president would take that action. And just in general here, it's it's highly unlikely that there would be some sort of trial underway in the Senate because uh, the, the president is out of office in eight days. And uh, Mitch McConnell has signaled to his uh, colleagues in the Senate, that, you know, by the time this were to get underway, it would be the day before the inauguration. And then the trial would would really get into swing on the 20, 20th or 21st, which, you know, Biden's already in office. So the whole situation right now just seems to be more of a uh, symbol. It's more of a symbolic move. Do you think there would be any surprises here? Because if there are any cabinet members who might have been on the fence or possibly considering it, it seems that a lot of them are bailing out already. Chad Wolf just announced yesterday that he's resigning. Elaine Chao last week said she's resigning. Betsy DeVos also resigned. So you have these cabinet members who have been maybe behind the scenes. Uh, and even some of them vocally have said they really disagree about what happened at the Capitol and they were concerned about the president. And so they're leaving. 
What, do, you, do you think there could be any surprise here as far as this 25th Amendment issue, or, or is it basically dead at this point? I mean, the only surprise I foresee could be just maybe some cabinet members, uh, in addition to the ones you just named, dropping out and resigning early because of this action. Uh, but I don't think we're going to see a significant number start to resign eight days uh, before President Trump is done. I mean, other than the ones you just named, I don't I don't see any additional ones that would be uh, resigning that would be a huge surprise. But I think just right now, the way it's where it stands is like a symbolic action. And and we'll see if they actually formally vote on the articles. But like I said, uh, you know, in the Senate, the Republicans, they still have the majority. Uh, the the Georgia Senate uh, candidates who won, the Democrats, they're not formally sworn in yet. The yeah, when is their swear-in date? It's dependent on when the official results are certified in Georgia. Uh, the expected date is around the 21st of January or 22nd. So that's when the majority leader uh, title would switch over to uh, to Schumer. Sure. And OK, so, so probably after inauguration. So on this impeachment question, our colleague Alex Nixberg had an article looking at the fact that Joe Manchin, who is going to be it's looking a pivotal vote in the Senate because he is a more moderate leaning Democrat. He says that the Senate does not have the votes to convict, convict Trump if he is impeached. You would need 67 votes for a conviction in order to convict uh, if the House does in indeed impeach. And the thinking is that the the president, by by the people who are bringing this charge, they say they don't want him to ever hold office. Is that really why they're doing this? Do they want to try to get him banned from running again? There's an element of that for sure. I think that's a, a part of it. The Senate can take that formal action when they vote, uh, if they voted to convict after a trial took place to bar the president from future office. I think that could be part of what's driving the impeachment effort, at least in the House right now. But because of what Manchin uh, says in this article and what we know at this point with the timeline, it's just so hard to get something done before uh, the president is finished because it's so close to the end. Now, could they do it after? That's a constitutional debate and a question because Clyburn. Uh, the majority whip in the House, he's it signaled that maybe because impeachment could distract from Biden's agenda, they'll take some sort of action uh, after Biden is out of office. But I'm sorry, after uh, Trump is out of office. But we'll see. I mean, I, I that that would also probably be a symbolic effort, too. And would it get through the Senate? Probably not. Like Manchin just said uh, in this article, it would still face a, a big challenge. Well, Manchin had an interesting quote in the article. He said, I think this is so ill-advised for Joe Biden to be coming in, trying to heal the country, trying to be the president of all the people when we're going to be so divided and fighting again. And word is that Joe Biden has said that he wants to do both. He says he wants to have his cake and eat it, too. He wants to have both impeachment and pursue his own agenda. How is this possible? And do you think he's basically talking out of both sides here? Well, I think Manchin here, I mean, he's the key on so many things that I think, you know, like when it comes to, for example, the filibuster, there's talk of them uh, getting the uh, filibuster removed for legislation of the Democrats when they run the uh, Senate. 
Manchin's key there. He seems to be uh, hesitant to do so. But uh, like you just highlighted here, he sometimes seems a little uh, wishy-washy on some of these topics. Uh, he could be swayed. He could be swayed on all of these hot-button issues. Nothing is definite, unfortunately, in, in Washington when it comes to True. these things. The only thing, the only thing certain in life is uncertainty. Nick Policy, thanks so much. All right, we've got Ben Carson up next. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hey, welcome back to Just the News AM. So earlier I spoke with HUD Secretary Ben Carson. We talked about a lot of things. We did not talk about the 25th Amendment because he's already publicly said he has no intention to invoke this. It looks like this is a dead story. So we talked instead about a topic that is very relevant right now. It's this issue of censorship and suppression and viewpoint discrimination. Take a look. Well, interestingly enough, uh, people who are students of history uh, know that when when political efforts uh, grab the steering wheel and uh, you start trying to wreak havoc upon those who you consider to be your political enemies, it virtually always comes back to bite you and it always expands and it never leads to a good place. And uh, I think what the people who are the targets today uh, need to recognize is that it's a moving target. Uh, eventually, you'll have the people who are persecuting you today as the ones who are the targets of persecution. At some point, somebody has to be the adult in the room. And they can't just say, well, you did this to me, I'm doing it to you. And you know, that's just such an immature way to act. Somebody has to be mature and recognize that, uh, you know, going after people, trying to extinguish their rights uh, just so that you can feel superior or feel vindicated uh, is not ever going to be conducive to a nation that is successful. And here we were on a trajectory of tremendous success uh, economically and virtually every other way. And we decide, nah, we don't like that. And uh, let's go in a different direction, in a direction that has been shown maybe not to work. What does work is when people are willing to sit down together and to discuss things. Because we have a, a you know, a society that is not homogeneous, so people are going to have different ideals. And the only way you make a non-homogeneous society work is to be able to sit down and discuss things. You'll never get it to work if you get in your respective corners and demonize each other. Right. Well, the tech companies have said, hey, the president was encouraging what happened on Wednesday with the riots and the mobs. You have Rudy Giuliani, who we've heard from sources here at Just the News, could be held liable possibly for incitement because he encouraged people to have a trial by force basically or a trial by combat is the phrase that he used. What are your, what's your read on this in terms of 
the response to tech companies who say that the president was encouraging what we saw, this very troubling chapter in American history? Well, if we go back and look at the, uh, the rhetoric of uh, people in the, in the public sphere and in the political arena uh, and what they've said, uh, particularly when they're in front of audiences, there probably wouldn't be anybody uh, who would escape. Uh, you know, they've, they've all said things that can be interpreted uh, according to the way that you uh, think. And, uh, you know, we just have to get beyond it. You know, why is the First Amendment there? Why was it so important for people to be able to think what they want to think and to say what they want to say? Uh, that's an incredibly important factor when it comes to a free society. And if we're willing to give that up, um, what else are we going to be willing to give up? And where does that lead? You know, the eight stages of civilization that you go through. And the last one is tyranny. I don't want us to get there, but we're heading that way in a rapid direction, rapid uh, pace. And we have to be smart enough to see that and stop all this silly, I'm going to get you because, you know, I don't like you and you did this to me. This is so immature. It's so infantile. We are so much better than that. Sure. And in terms of the companies themselves, for Facebook, for example, and Twitter, these are publicly traded companies. And according to their rules, their job is to maximize shareholder values. And we're seeing tens, hundreds, possibly uh, thousands and, and millions of people being shoved off of these platforms and canceled and, and not allowed to post. Do you think these companies risk uh, a breach of share, you know, a breach of their responsibility to maximize profit uh, while at the same time making sure that the, uh, you know, there is no incitement? Um, they don't want to be held liable for that. But at the same time, to punish people who were doing no such thing, do you think that risks them, uh, you know, being liable for breaching their fiduciary responsibility? And what is your take on shareholder activism, people who maybe hold stock in these companies to say, hey, you guys aren't doing your part? Well, I think they're putting themselves at tremendous risk by, by taking this course of action. There will clearly be lawsuits brought against them. And those will eventually rise to the level of the Supreme Court. And, uh, you know, they are making their own bed. And, and, and you know, they still have time to rectify the situation. They don't have to go down this road because this is America and America is not going to go down the road and become China or, or the Soviet Union it's, or uh, Russia. It's not going to do that. Um, they need to understand that. And they may think that they were, they're getting some temporary uh, victory here, but in the long run, they're making their own bed and they're going to have to lie in it and it's not going to be a good bed and they're not going to be happy. So there's time to stop right now. This is the time to do it. It's interesting you mentioned Soviet because Mikhail Gorbachev recently spoke out and he said that he, he wouldn't say who it was, but he said he knew who was responsible for the coup or the attempted coup on Wednesday 
but he said it was very familiar because he said he saw the same thing when he was in office where the, uh, the communists tried to overtake him because they said that he was bringing about uh, reforms that they disagreed with. But he said Wednesday calls into question U.S. sovereignty. What's your take on that? Well, you know, there is no question that something is going on here. Uh, you know, I don't, I'm not a big conspiracy theory, theorist, but um, there is obviously something going on. And we see it every time that there's a, a major gathering, uh, be it in Seattle, be it in Portland, be it in Washington, D.C. You see people uh, attempting to destroy uh, law and order and uh, create major problems and uh, create dissatisfaction amongst the populace and uh, dissatisfaction with the leadership. Why would anybody be trying to do that? Basically, if they wanted to fundamentally change the society, you have to first create major dissatisfaction with the way the society exists currently. And uh, we as Americans are going to have to decide, do we like our system? Do we like our constitution? Do we like the freedoms that we have? Or do we want another type of system where somebody else makes decisions and controls what's going on? Um, you know, freedom is not free. You right. have to fight for it every single day. And the minute you decide that you're just going to be complacent and whatever will be will be, your freedom's going to be gone. And we have more later in the show from Secretary Carson. In the meantime, we have more about social media censorship with an expert, Adam Weiss. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Morning and welcome back to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield and glad you're here with us. Well, we're talking more about this question of censorship and joining me is Adam Weiss. He's the CEO of AMW Public Relations. He represents some of the biggest names in the conservative movement, including the president's son, Donald Jr. He's represented Kimberly Gofoil as well. Lots of big names. Good morning, Adam. Good morning, Carrie. Thanks for having me. So let's talk about what's happened with Josh Hawley, senator from Missouri. He put out a statement. He says, this could not be more Orwellian. Simon & Schuster is canceling my contract because I was representing my constituents, leading a debate on the Senate floor on voter integrity, which they have now decided to redefine as sedition. Let me be clear, this is not just a contract dispute. It's a direct assault on the First Amendment. Only approved speech can now be published. This is the left looking to cancel everyone they don't approve of. I will fight this cancel culture with everything I have. We'll see you in court. 
Now, in response to this, the opinion editor over at the Washington Post writes an op-ed, and he says, Trump's and Holly's free speech rights are perfectly intact, but the senator has half a point. He says that the Constitution says Congress can pass no law that abridges free speech. It imposes no obligation on a private company, such as a publishing house, to promote speech that it, as a private company, doesn't like. So while I have no idea whether Holly has a contractual beef, i.e. we'll see you in court, he vowed, Simon & Schuster did not violate his constitutional rights. So he's making the di distinction here between Congress or government suppressing freedom of speech versus a private company who's disagreeing and saying, we don't want to promote this speech, therefore we don't have to. Do you see the point here? Do you agree there's a point? I don't see there's any point. I mean, how did it say free speech when Holly didn't even incite anything? He wasn't even at the rally. He was objecting to let's debate a little bit on the Senate floor about the election. Let's look over some evidence. And all of a sudden, a woke mob ran over to one of the organs in our institution and in our culture and society that's supposed to stand up for speech, supposed to stand up for First Amendment. A book publishing house. A book publishing house supposed to have right, left, middle, everything in between. That's what it's about, you know, reading, uh, you know, organs. It's supposed to be one of the most important institutions to stand up for freedom, stand up for our rights, stand up for free speech, publishing houses. And just like every other organ and institution, they're folding. And not only they're folding with, we could say, oh, we're folding because this guy's too far right and he's too conservative. This is a United States senator, one of the most prominent Republican senators and if he can't get a book deal, what, what direction are we going in America right now? If he has to get a book deal strapped from him in one of the most biggest publishing houses in New York City and around the country, right? Well, yeah, and I, I certainly don't re recall any platforms being deplatforming people like Maxine Waters. Maxine Waters led the charge against a Republican president to decertify results or challenge the results. In 2001, there were Democrats in 2001, 2005, and 2017. So this has happened three times by Democrats in very recent history. When a Republican won the White House, there were some Democrats who stepped up and said they were going to challenge it legally on the congressional floor. And you made the distinction here between the congressional floor and the mob outside. Very big difference here. We'll see in the court of public opinion. Do you think this will actually hurt Simon Schuster though in the end? I think so. I think I think it's a good case. You can't just throw out book publishing deals when you have a contract because he decides as a US Senate to uphold his constitutional duties, which is legally he's allowed to do. How can you just say, oh, he wanted to object United States Senate, which is right. And okay, next day, we're taking away your book deal. He has a great case, you know, because they don't want to stand up to a woke millennial mob that's going after every institution. You know, the senator has his rights. We see it in every organ right now happening, whether it's banks, corporations going after conservatives. It's just not right where the direction we're going in. And, Let's talk you know, about another issue here with Facebook and Instagram. So they are eliminating every post that includes the phrase, stop the steal. They say, we've been allowing robust conversations related to the election outcome, and that will continue, the social media giant noted. But with continued attempts to organize events against the outcome of the U.S. presidential election that can lead to violence and use of the term by those involved in Wednesday's violence in D.C., we're taking this additional step in the lead up to the inauguration. It may take some time to scale up our enforcement of this new step, but we have already removed a significant number of posts. So when they say they're trying to remove posts that lead to violence, do you agree that this is something that is worthwhile 
first of all. But then secondly, why wasn't this applied in the case of BLM? Because you had people within the first week or so, couple weeks of the death of George Floyd, you had 11, 12 people who were killed most likely African-Americans killed by other African-Americans who were killed in riots. You had black-owned businesses who were destroyed and burned to the ground by rioters. I don't recall Facebook and Instagram taking down any of the BLM posts at that time. So I guess my question for you is, do you think there's a place for reducing incitement to violence? Uh, and if so, should it be more evenly applied? Of course it should be evenly applied. Why did the riots happen so fast? And how did they organize so fast? We'd look up. And within an hour of, you know, a bad decision by a police force, a bad, you know, something uh, pulling over a minority. And within two hours, they're rioting and destroying a whole city, Atlanta, New York, uh, Los Angeles, tearing up the courthouse in Portland, killing a cop in Atlanta. So how does this happen? Social media. That's how they all organize through Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Let's meet at this place real quick. You know, in the old days, you couldn't organize that fast, a mob to destroy cities, destroy towns, social media. They don't even allow it. They let it trend. When it's BLM, Antifa, it's trending on their on their uh, Twitter timeline. That's the difference. You know, where are they going when it's one side? And how many times throughout the two couple of years during the uh, Trump presidency did, you know, influences, people like yourself, Conservatives throughout the country tell them tech tyrants are going after us. They're going to go in. It's only going to get worse and worse. And then they would bring him in front of the Senate. And what would the senators do? Throw lip service and do nothing. Uh, and ask a couple of tough questions to Mark Zuckerberg, Jack Dorsey, and they, you know, the leaders of Google, and they'd lie right in the face. Oh, we're here. We're a fast square. And we're just trying to take off a little bit of bias and a little bit of hate speech. And the word hate speech from them means one side, means the word Republican, conservative, patriot, and that's, I'm scared to see the road we're going now if they don't do something, you know, because I've heard talk, uh, we're going to stop the word patriot on, that's, to them, that's considered partly hate speech. The word patriot, give me a break. Well, to be honest, most people don't like the New England Patriots, so that might be hate speech to the Patriots. Uh, but, yeah, uh, uh, sorry to all the Patriots fans out there, but uh, speaking of the past forward, Obama-era officials with big tech ties, it's basically a revolving door at this point to join the Biden administration. My colleague Nick Ballacy just reported about this. He said that former Obama officials with ties to Facebook and Twitter are now joining Joe Biden's administration in large numbers as a social company uh, companies are censoring President Donald Trump. What do you think we're going to see in this new administration? I'm going to see more of uh, what we've seen under the Trump administration, except they're going to get allowed, allowed with it and easier. We're not going to, you know, as fighters, the leadership in the Republican Party needs to stand up and stop cowering to every left-wing mob. And they just, if anything, we learned over the last four or five years, Trump created an army of fighters. I don't mean fighters physically, fighters so through social media, fighters through rallies, fighters through, you know, standing up for the cause. And yet last week, within two, within two hours, I saw every Republican official running in front of TV denouncing the mob, the insurrection. I've never heard so many words in the last year from that one rally that I never heard all these words from DLM and the Tisa protest. All right, Adam Weiss, we've got to leave it right there. Thanks so much. We'll be Thank right you. back with Gordon Chang, a China expert on what's next for Biden and China. 
CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Good morning and welcome back here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield and glad you're with us. Joining me is Gordon Chang. He's a China expert. Good morning, Gordon. Good morning, Carrie. So let's talk about this analogy that the Chinese Communist Party is trying to make about what happened last week, the horrific assault of the U.S. Capitol on Wednesday last week. The U.S. government, according to uh, China, is under assault in the same way that the Hong Kong protesters have been trying to assault the government of China. And you have an op-ed here that Olivia Enos over at the Daily Signal at Heritage Foundation, she says, no, Beijing, the Hong Kong protests were nothing like what happened on Capitol Hill. Through their propaganda efforts, the Chinese government is trying to simultaneously delegitimize the Hong Kong people's cause and assert its own system of government as superior to that of the U.S. But it's almost as if the Chinese government missed the second part of that faithful day. Fateful day. Rather than allowing for democracy to be derailed, both Democrats and Republicans returned to the same Capitol building that had been ransacked earlier that day to certify the election results and to restore order to our divided nation. Gordon, what is happening here and how successful is this propaganda line working its way on the Chinese people? Are they believing this analogy? I think the Chinese people do believe it because there's a monopoly of information and they're just getting it from Beijing. Really what Beijing is trying to do here, as Olivia Enos was pointing out, is to draw this false equivalence. And they've been at this for quite some time. So for instance, there have been a number of tweets and statements um, attacking Speaker Pelosi. Because um, in the middle of 2019, she looked at a picture of the Hong Kong protest, a mass protest of people peacefully walking in the streets, and she said, a beautiful sight. And, and now they have thrown that phrase back at her, saying, look, she was referring to violent protests and that the United States is hypocritical because we support some violent protests and not others. Well, this is complete disinformation from Beijing. You know, this is a long-term program to, first of all, as you say, delegitimize the Hong Kong protesters, but more importantly, to delegitimize American democracy. And they've been working very, very hard at this. Well, but what is disappointing is that Nancy Pelosi did encourage or say that at least some Democrats and folks in the media did say that the, it was a beautiful sight sometimes when there was uh, violence being, or at least they were excusing violence in the streets last year when it came to riots uh, uh, associated with Black Lives Matter. Um, how, how is the Chinese government spinning that? Because we saw violent assaults, we saw property destruction, destruction we saw firebombs. How is the Chinese government and the CCP exploiting that? Well, basically, they say that this is a failure of American democracy and that the United States is falling apart. And this is part of that broader narrative that they've had for quite some time, of basically uh, going along the lines that um, Chinese communism, totalitarianism, which is where it's moving towards, is superior, and that democracy in general, and American democracy in particular, um, is failing. So this is that broad theme that they have. And we've got to remember that this propaganda is important for Beijing because they are insecure for various reasons. 
Let's talk about Biden and China. So we just had announcement of a deal that apparently is going to be signed. It won't take effect until next year, but it's between the, the European Union and China. And it's a massive investment deal. It's going to allow uh, markets to be much more intertwined. There's also another deal called the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, which is a separate regional deal with many of America's closest allies that are in the Asia Pacific but the U.S. is excluded. Now, both these deals have been signed and announced in the waning days of the Trump administration. It seems that China is thumbing its nose at Donald Trump just as he's leaving office, even though President Trump has stood up to China and has said that China is a threat here to the U.S. and to the world. Biden has said that they opposed what Europe was doing because they said, hold your horses. Why are you signing this while we have a new administration about to come on board? So Biden seems to be trying to push back a little bit about this, but the Europeans don't seem to be listening and they're going to go ahead and go forward with this. Why do you think the Europeans are doing this? I think the Europeans are doing this because, um, you know, they have said all along that they wanted an investment deal. And Angela Merkel, the German chancellor, wanted it a lot. German business and, and multinationals in Europe want it. Um, but really what's going on here is thumbing the nose at Biden, because Biden's whole uh, campaign um, stratagem was to say, look, you know, Donald Trump wrecks American uh, alliances. I'm going to support them. And he was saying that he was going to get America's traditional friends on board to uh, oppose China. Well, here you have Western Europe basically saying, no, uh, we're siding with China against the United States. So this really is a, a, um, a real poke in the eye of the incoming president. And they're doing it also without having the guarantees of human rights. The Europeans often say they want to walk the walk, but it seems here they're just talking the talk when it comes to this deal with the Chinese. They're having no demands of actual concrete changes to how they treat, treat the Uyghur people there. One last topic, I want to talk about Hong Kong, because Jimmy Lai, who is in prison right now, one of his representatives, sent me this chart, and he noted that the outflow of migration of people who are leaving Hong Kong, you can see the chart here up on screen, since the national security law was imposed on the people of Hong Kong in July of last year, they've had almost 131,000 people, about almost 2% of the population have left. They're out of here. They're dropping the mic. Why are they leaving? They're leaving because they're extremely concerned about China. Um, the national security law, which was imposed on June 30, is essentially the end of law, and people can understand that. And if they can leave, they will. Now, a lot of people can't leave, um, and you know we could very well find the point where so many people are going that Beijing just drops the curtain down. This could be Berlin um, times two. So I, I think that we have got to be very concerned that Beijing is going to say, oh, my God, we have got to stop the flow of people out of Hong Kong. All right. Gordon Chang, thanks so much. We appreciate it. We'll be right back more with Ben Carson. OK, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
Good morning and welcome back to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield. Well, part two of my interview with Secretary Ben Carson about an amazing program. Take a listen. So tell us, what is the FYI program? Uh, well, it stands for Foster Youth to Independence. About 20,000 uh, foster youth age out of the program every year. And within the next four years, approximately a quarter of them end up homeless. And a larger percentage than that end up inadequately housed. And it's really at a time in their lives where they're right at the precipice of going the right way or the wrong way, and they don't have any support. So uh, about a year and a half ago, a group of young people who were in that situation or had been in that situation actually came to HUD and they presented their case. And it was very compelling. And we listened uh, to the point that the HUD staff was able to put together the program in four months we were giving out the first grants. And uh, these grants were uh, designed to give them a home and also the kinds of services that are necessary that they would be missing because they don't have a supportive family. Uh, in many cases, to help them be able to gain their education or employment, uh, health care needs, a whole host of things that they normally would not have access to if they were on their own but they would have access to if they had a family. And, wow, uh, Secretary Carson, when you say four months and the, the grants were already starting to be given out, that's for government. I mean, that's, that's a, a glacial space that's been lit on fire. How were you able to do that in four months? Well, you know, I always say at HUD, we have the ugliest building, but the best people. And <laughs> <laughs> we're able to get things, we've been able to get a lot of things done. Uh, fairly quickly, uh, largely because uh, the place has been transformed. You know, when I came here, there had been no CFO uh, office for almost a decade, and uh, things were in shambles, and it was very difficult to get anything done because your underlying financials were in such a mess, and you, you always had to be overlooking this, that, and the other. Uh, by fixing that, by bringing things into the modern era in terms of uh, IT, of having the integrity task force across all the different uh, offices and, you know, making people responsible for what they did, uh, the efficiency increased enormously. And uh, that's why you don't hear those strange stories about malfeasance at HUD anymore. Um, and I hope that continues. So in terms of these 20,000 young people who are aging out of the foster system, you're saying a quarter of them would end up homeless because they didn't have the support that they needed. When they came to you, I guess the big question that I have in my mind is, why wasn't this taken care of before? Well, uh, I guess no one really thought about it that much. They just said, well, you know, they're 18 now. They ought to be able to make it on their own. And uh, obviously, uh, anybody listening, you think back to when you were 18, if you were all of a sudden on your own with no support, what would you have done? And, uh, you know, so many people uh, were ending up in very, very bad situations. Uh, some of those situations being actually life-threatening and some of them which actually did cost people their lives. 
And, uh, you know, that's not something that a compassionate society allows to happen. So I, I think no one really had just thought about it. It wasn't that anybody was being particularly cruel. They just didn't really think about it. But what about, uh, yes, there's the, the idea of if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, you teach a man to fish, uh, and then you feed him for a lifetime. Are there other things in this program that make sure that these young people, they can eventually be self-sustaining and they can, you know, in many cases, homelessness is associated with mental illness. So a lot of these kids are coming from abusive situations or maybe they had, uh, you know, substance abuse, either their parents or their mother maybe, uh, or even themselves dealing with substance abuse. So lots of, uh, you know, issues that are triggering them to be homeless. Is there something beyond just giving them housing that's helping oh, yeah, them that's go beyond this? No, the wraparound services are every bit as important as the housing itself. And they, they all have uh, caseworkers who work with them to determine what their specific needs are. It's not a cookie cutter plan where one size fits off because they all have very, very different needs. And we try to provide them with whatever that need is, just the same way that their family would. And so this program just started in 2019. Is there a timeout window where there's an off-ramp to say, okay, you're, you're 18, you're still, uh, so many other people when they come from a stable home, their parents might keep them on the dole. I mean, are the insurance plans will be forced to keep them on till they're 26. Uh, but at the same time, you do have taxpayer needs uh, to consider as well. What's the off-ramp and, and what's, what does success look like for you? Well, it's a, it's a three-year plan. Um, and if they're not ready to be uh, fully independent at that time, it can be extended uh, on an individual basis. Uh, but usually, uh, from what we've been able to see so far, there's been a lot of tremendous success stories. Um, that seems to be an adequate amount of time. Uh, and a lot of these uh, young people are able to get into college or to get into advanced uh, skills training programs and uh, become independent much sooner than the three years, quite frankly. There's, there shouldn't be children in our country who are aging out of foster care, who have nowhere to go and no one to take care of them. That's just, not, that's inhumane. And just a great interview with Secretary Carson. What a great program and initiative. We'll be right back with more about how to support Brian Sicknick, the officer killed in the attacks on Capitol Hill. Stay with us. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey there, good morning. Welcome back here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield. Well, we want to let you know how you can support the officer and his family. He was tragically killed. He died the day following the attacks on Capitol Hill last week. Officer Brian Sicknick, there's a memorial fund that is up on GoFundMe. They had a goal of just 250000 and they have blown past this. They're already up at $600,727 to support the family here. So the, uh, the, the sad thing here, uh, apparently there are people who are creating 
false GoFundMe pages and trying to make money and capitalize off of the death of this brave officer. It's really sad. Lindsay Taylor, she works with a family. She's an officer as well. She wants people to know this is the only official page. So if you are going to be donating, make sure you go to the official page here for GoFundMe for Officer Brian Sicknick. He was reportedly hit over the head with a fire extinguisher on Wednesday of last week, and he perished the following day on Thursday while he was defending his capital from rioters and people trying to have insurrection on Capitol Hill. Truly tragic, but we're happy to see that people are supporting his family and encourage you if you have it in your heart to support as well. That does it for here this morning on Just the News AM. Stay tuned. We have War Room coming up next.